coming on today, by the way. Pleasure. Welcome. Welcome back, everyone, to the Black Create Connect podcast. It's been a minute since I've recorded, so please bear, bear, bear with me, everyone. But thank you so much. Um, I have Sabrina Clark, who is the owner and managing partner of Build Global, and she's also the founder of Lateral Theory. Perfect. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you so much. So, because you've come on today, right, I'm really appreciative because I've seen a lot of your kind of content online about kind of how you manage businesses and I feel like you're very structured and very selective with where you spend your time. That is a fact. <laughs> so, so I just want to say thank you because I appreciate it a lot. No, it's a pleasure. So, um, as I do with all of my guests on the show, before I kind of get into what they're doing at the moment and their business, I like to get a bit into like your history, your past, like where you are today. Um, I know that you've worked with some amazing organisations such as Ogilvy, Barclays, mm-hmm. EY, um, but I want to get a bit further back. Okay. Right. How far back do you want to go? We're going to take it back. So, first of all, I hear an accent. Yes. Where are you from originally? Good transition because you okay. people say you're not from here. Uh, so I'm originally from London. So when you say the accent that you're hearing is when I lived in the states during my formative years, hence the accent. But I was okay. born in London, born in Stratford. You was born in Stratford. Mm-hmm. So when when you were born in Stratford, when did you move to the States? What was that period like? Uh, so that's not how it went. So okay. Stratford, spent time in Stratford. I'm mm-hmm. Liberian. We went to Liberia, spent time there, and then went to the States. So that I've, I've lived across three and actually worked across two continents now. Okay. Mm-hmm. So at, at what stage in your life? So when you were born in Stratford, what, what age were you when you moved to Liberia? You're trying to disclose. No, we see you. Oh, oh, like, no, you oh, you're trying to get a woman to tell no, her age. No, 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 I'm trying to work out your age. Do, do you know what it is? I like to understand, like, again, I meet so many different guests and I like to just understand where they've lived, like what contributes towards their cultural attributes, their personality, who they are. Don't worry, okay? We're not trying to work out your age. You don't have to say <laughs> You can say when I was in school, when I was in high school, when I was went to university, you can use those terms. So, what, in the States? Yeah. So, uh, a combination of both. Yeah. School and university, combination of both. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, when you were, when you found that, um, found when you were in school, what are, what were some of the subjects you were really good at, some of the things that you really gravitated towards, like, naturally when you were quite young? So, I naturally gravitated to both science and English. That's probably okay. why I have a duality in businesses now, because my brain is very logical, but also imaginative at the same time. And right. I naturally gravitated to both. And my favorite science was physics. Loved physics. Physics? Loved physics. Why? I don't even remember what, what physics involves. <laughs> <laughs> because physics for me is pretty much how you can solve for life because it's all about formulas okay. there was a lot of math which is why i was like I, I just couldn't be asked i wouldn't be doing that in university if it, were, if it were up to me but if it was just formula i would be doing it but i absolutely loved physics and learning about just the universe and life um, through formulas but at the same time i loved writing i okay. love the arts okay i uh, love journaling i have a very uh, vivid imagination so okay both of them was was my what i naturally gravitated to so when you really enjoyed both of these different um, subjects, they're completely different. Mm-hmm. Did you have an idea when you was in school, like what you wanted to do post school? Or did you just know, I like these things and that's, that's it? No. So I, like every, I think, immigrant child, the choices were doctor, lawyer, uh, engineer uh, yeah. in, in terms of my family. So I knew that I was going to incorporate the arts. I knew I was going to incorporate science or formulas in some way, shape or form, but it wasn't until later, later as in after school that I was like, yeah, I want to go into business for myself. And what do, what do I need to do to be able to do that? Right. Okay. So when you, when you was, um, I guess, transitioning into university and Mm -hmm. in that period from school to university, Mm -hmm. What, I guess, completely inspired you? Were there any particular things, influences that really inspired what direction you wanted to go into? No, actually, um, which, is, which is quite interesting. I wasn't inspired by 
this is the direction that I want to go into. I was an autopilot. This was this is what I was supposed to do. Mm. And so I didn't gain inspiration from that. It wasn't until being in an environment with different people that I started to get inspired by different things. Mm. But up until that point, I was very much, this is the natural next step for you. So therefore you need to do it. So when you said that you used to gain inspiration from different environments and different situations, what mm-hmm. type of situations would you find yourself in that you thought this has inspired this particular path in me? So I've always learned about cultures and been around different cultures. And what was interesting for me, because I came from a very diverse environment, one of the conscious choices I made where university was going to a predominantly white environment because I had been around different cultures my entire life so I didn't know what it was to be around a predominantly white space Mm -hmm. and I knew that my future wouldn't tell me being in a predominantly white space so that is what fascinated me how do you interact what's what's the culture how do you Mm. move differently and there is a way to move differently in predominantly white spaces particularly when we get to later on in my life when I'm in a corporate environment Mm. I was fascinated by that Uh, The inspiration part came from throughout that entire time, I was still very much engaged in the arts. Mm. And so at university level, you get I get exposed to theater, Mm. theater in a very real way, going to New York, going to Broadway, going to different shows and Mm. seeing student productions. Mm. And that for me was very inspirational. Did you go to university over here or in the States? In the States. In the States as well. Mm -hmm. And so you chose to go to a predominantly... It was a conscious decision, yes. What did your parents say about that? My mother didn't care so long as I was going to <laughs> she, she, she didn't care so long as I was going to, to school. And did you get any, I guess, pushback or, or comments from friends or family about making that decision? No, because I, my family isn't African-American. Right. We are Africans who Im- immigrated to the US. Right. So no one in the circle that would be speaking into my life would really care about that choice except for the choice was being made does that make sense right so they they were just concerned that okay you're going to university you're going to school doesn't matter where where it is where it is well it was it ended up being a good school but so long as i was getting a higher education that's the choice that they were concerned about so taking it back to when you was making that decision and you was um, figuring out, okay, this is the university that I'm gonna I'm going mm-hmm. to go to because I remember when I was doing that mm-hmm. and to be honest, my mindset wasn't like yours back then. I was just thinking, okay, where am I gonna have the most fun? Like, <laughs> like I'm being honest, like literally, I was like, okay, where's fun? Where's it lit? What's happening? What were some of the things that you considered? So yes, being a being a predominantly white university, but what what else were you considering? So I wanted to go into an environment where I knew no one. So where my peers are going to this university, I wanted to go to complete opposite. Financial aid was a consideration. So and I okay. ended up getting a scholarship, but. That was a big part of the decision. How was I going to... I don't come from a wealthy family. Right. So how was I going to cover the costs of that choice? Those right. are the things that were on my mind. Right, okay. And what did you study in university? So initially, um, it was undeclared. Uh, that's how I started out. And then ended up doing English. Then did uh, minor in, in science. And then, then they got to the math. So I was like, yeah, I'm not doing this for... No. no. <laughs> What does undeclared mean? I don't, I'm not familiar with that term. Undeclared means you can go for your first year and not say, I want to be in this particular discipline. It gives you a year to figure it out. So what, what did I get you to do with that year? No, you, you choose, you choose which choices, which electives, which classes you want to go to then determine the path that you want to go down. Right. Okay. I see. And then that's when you decided to do a bit of English, a bit of science. Mm -hmm. So with that being said, when you were studying, what were some of your biggest, I guess, learnings or experiences that were really prominent to you that shaped who you are today i can't say that it was it wasn't the studying is the relationships Mm, it was the relationships because at that time actually one of my closest friends we were friends for over 20 years now we we laugh um we're we're the aunties and uncles because he he's a he's a male it was the relationships that I cultivated that shaped me, that influenced me, not necessarily the experience of studying, if that right. makes sense. It wasn't okay. about the fact that I was learning a discipline or learning something that I think that experience could have been anywhere. It was the relationships and the right. interactions in an environment where 
I learned how colorism is really rife. I learned the difference because I had natural hair at the time. Mm. Uh, the other black women in the campus did not. And there was that thing uh, between us. There was lots of dynamics I didn't experience up until getting into a university environment mm. that was really informative. What were some of those, like, what did some of those experiences entail? So you experiencing colorism, because I was completely, for example, my experience of colorism, completely oblivious to it until I was actually in university and my best friend, who's a darker complexion to me, she literally was so insecure about her complexion and about how she was, and I did not understand it Mm -hmm. until she broke it down to me and said, look at things in the media, look at how we're spoken about as darker-skinned women, and then she kind of brought it to my attention. So what were some of the things... So that was, it was a slightly different case for me. So this is the first time in that environment that I knew that there was a different standard of for black women in dating versus their white counterparts. Because remember, in that school, you're dealing with, is it 99.9% white school? Mm. So the black men would have this list, this long criteria of what the black woman needed to have. She needed to have this degree, needed to be, you know, comes from this background or approaching in a particular way. Mm. Whereas our white counterparts just needed to be white. In this, in that, in the same school. Yeah, yeah, the in, the, in the same completely school. Different. Completely different. And I've never, I had never until that moment come across that in my entire life. I, like I never come across it in my entire life. So that was a first. And then where the interactions with me and some of the other black women were concerned there was and, and actually it's not even them because even now I wear my hair naturally I have locks now mm. back then it was a, a fro and I wore braids mm. there was this difference um, in feeling the look that you get and black women will know that look from other black women where this is size up and down <laughs> with mm. your, from your hair down to, to the body and the choice I made to wear my hair naturally and I because I have I've always worn my hair naturally the majority of my life so how did that make you feel? And how did that... Because you seem like a very... I'm going to do what I want to do, regardless of whatever's happening. Yeah, I was just perplexed. Like, I didn't... It didn't quite do anything. reconcile. Because right. it was, I was like, what is... Because I've never... Literally never experienced it in my entire life. Right. At any stage up until that point. So I was just perplexed as to, one, why? And then, because I'm naturally curious, what's the reason? What's the thinking? What's the behavior behind it? Mm. Why, why do they think that way, feel that way, or why did they respond to natural hair in a particular way? Why mm. do uh, the black men that I was around, not all of them, but some of them, why do they have the preferences that they do where, where black women are concerned? Mm-hmm. All of that was new. But, but that, was, I went, that was why I went into the environment that I went into to understand these new, new things, to be exposed to things that I hadn't been exposed to before. So with that being said, because you've experienced it, mm-hmm. for black women that are in environments, especially even today, who are in workplaces where that is um, a similar theme, how would you advise that they deal with that, cope with that? Because sometimes it can be mentally draining, mm-hmm. it could be difficult. So what are some of the things that you learn? I think it depends on the situation. So okay. how should a black woman cope with a black man not being an ally in an environment where they are my my where the minority right. is, I think a different response to how do you address other Black women in the same environment that may be a queen bee. Right. The advice isn't the same. So where the the Black male potentially may not be your ally in the environment where you need him to be, mm. you need to assess should he even be associated with you. Do people respect him, respect his opinions, think that he's somebody who is going to be a future managing director or what have you? Because it's not everybody that you want to be your ally, mm. just keeping it 100 mm. in, in that environment. You don't want certain reputations associated with you. Mm. So first of all, check it, assess it. And then if you think it's somebody you should even be associated with or you want that solidarity with, then have a side conversation to understand they're thinking mm. because not everybody who looks like you is for mm. you. So mm. you need to check that mentality. Mm. Once you've identified that actually, yes, this is somebody that I want to stand in solidarity with. Secondly, he is somebody that is respected. So his voice will lend itself credibility. Then establish and build a relationship outside of the meetings. Where, the, where are the two of you going to be connected on, agreed on, mm. finish each other's sentences about what cause, what agenda do you want to get across? Mm. And how are you going to come together around that particular point? Mm. They don't need to be around, you don't have to consolidate around each other's career, mm. but you do have to be aligned on what you want to achieve in whatever 
format that you are. And I, I think a lot of people don't put that forethought. They just mm. rock up into meetings, get offended that somebody didn't do X, Y, or Z, and they want to address it after the fact, address it before. When it comes to black women, mm. completely different scenario. Okay. Because depending on the woman, for some women, is not even worth the conversation because of the toxic nature mm. and the way that they've been formed or fashioned. And the last thing you want to do is being in a situation where somebody who looks like you is your biggest enemy and mm. the biggest blocker in that environment. So one, see if it's worth the conversation. Two, unfortunately, in that environment, you may have to get other allies, other sponsors, people who are more senior. And probably most cases, it's a very rare thing. So in my line of work, it's very rare, extremely rare. Actually, let me think if I've even had a black woman who is more senior. In your whole career? Yeah. It's, it's, it's very rare. In my career, there's been two, three. Okay, yeah. So it is rare, but you've, you've had a couple of... But not reporting up into at a different peer level. Right, okay. And now, and now that I'm thinking about it, one direct, one directly in the line, mm-hmm. but that I was more junior then. Mm-hmm. So when I was, yeah, no, it's it's very rare. It's, it's very very rare. So the chances would most likely be when an individual is junior going into senior than actually being at the senior peer level. So if you are a junior person and you are seeing a more senior individual displaying this. Mm-hmm. Ask yourself the same questions you you would the black male, but you may need to do a complete 180 and go in the opposite direction. I'm just keeping it 100. The thing is, what you're saying, I think, theory-wise, it makes sense, but I categorically remember being in a situation like that where there'll be a senior black woman, actually in HR, but we'll have one-on-one conversation. We agree, we get along, it's fine. But when she's in front of her white peers, completely different person. And it was consistent. So you've just answered your question. You've had a one-to-one conversation. Yeah. You've agreed in that one com- one-to-one conversation. Yeah. But then she gets in front of her peers. Right. And she's completely different. Yeah. So the first thing I was, one of the, because I, I do mentoring. And when, I, when I've had my mentors come to me and say, oh, me and my manager get along. I always say so what have they shown you in front of other people that would Mm. suggest to you Mm. that you get along because in that scenario immediately they've already shown you Mm. who they are Mm. in front of their peers Mm. not in front of you Mm. but in front of in front of the peers Mm. so if that person is your direct manager Mm. that's very difficult but you have to manage it for as long as you want to be in that environment and you have to work with the fact that they're duplicitous and you know that what they're saying to you mm. isn't going to be what they say in the meeting in the next five minutes. So then you have to get into documenting and all the things you need to do. That's extremely taxing. But if that person is your direct line manager, mm. that's what you have to do. If they're not your direct line manager, keep it moving for your own safety. But leave the organization. No, 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 no. Interact in meetings that you need to interact with. CC the world that you need to CC in to make sure things are documented. But if they're not your direct line, treat them like any other stakeholder. What if you have to collaborate with them quite quite frequently? You have to speak with them quite frequently on projects. Is it just them or is it them and other people? What if it's just them? If it's just them, then you document. Okay. Because you will have to pull up your receipts at some point in time because you will be thrown under the bus. Okay. And what about people that are in workplaces where they're the minority in their experiences? So there's, again, everyone else is kind of acting in a way that makes them feel uncomfortable, that, you know, doesn't basically amplify them. How would then that person respond? It depends on what you want to do. So I've been in that situation. Okay. And I've been in environments that I have, that aren't values aligned, but for me, I wasn't going into those environments because they were value aligned. I was going into those environments to gain a set of skills. Right, okay. So my question to that person is, well, what, what is the purpose of you being in that environment? Right. Are you there because you want a check on your CV and therefore you will be there for three to five years, which I've done? Are you there because you want to 
uh, have longevity and if it is then you're in the wrong place because you need to be in an environment where is more values aligned to you if you're going to be there for 15 years mm. but if you're just there for two years or three years you're gonna have to allow it <laughs> like, because people are unfortunately regardless of all the marketing that you see on certain environments there's a fundamental systematic issue in certain industries so mm. if it's your if your choice is to be in that industry then you have to understand by being in those environments there will be behaviors that you may have to address for the two to three years that you plan on being there mm -hmm. but if you are there for longer or if you want to be uh, some, somebody who's employed i'm going to get my pension i eventually want to retire from this then you need to make different choices in terms of what's more important is about values alignment finding the culture that fits you and then you can thrive but it depends on what you want what's your views on being confrontational in in particular situations regarding microaggressions um regarding anything that makes someone feel i guess less than in the workplace particularly for black professionals as well so my view is you need to count your costs that's my view on it okay. so when i was more junior and having to deal with microaggressions mm -hmm. i knew that when i the moments that i chose to speak to more senior individuals that cost me that cost me organizationally that cost uh projects that cost all of it this comes at a cost so you have to make a decision mm -hmm. as to which parts of it you are actually you want that smoke because there were certain environments and certain things that happened where mm -hmm. i wanted the smoke and there were certain things that happened well actually i have a bigger goal here and i'm gonna have to swallow it because when you're dealing with microaggressions once you point to a specific incident that can be explained away when you're dealing with bias it can be explained well oh, does she really mean that she didn't really are you sure you can you didn't take it the right way that's how microaggressive that's what makes it so insidious because if you point to it because it's micro you look like a crazy person if you have the pattern of a behavior established which for some cases which is what i did documented patterns and address the pattern then there was no there was no well actually even still there were still conversations about what i felt what i observed what i was the recipient of but yeah my advice is count your costs and which how where do you want to go with this mm. because it is going to cost you uh, the more senior you get you can say whatever you want to whomever you want mm. but when you are junior unfortunately there is a cost associated with the decisions that you make and there will be smoke that you want and there will be something you're just gonna have to let slide what about outward um kind of violence yes like well, so, not, so not necessarily physical violence but no, no, I, 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 yeah, I, I, I call it violence yeah it is because so like last week i had to i had to um talk with coding black females and i was just giving them advice about how to navigate in the workplace mm -hmm. right and it was way too many of them and these are really young young ladies mm -hmm. that have said i have like direct racism from, from my manager one of them explicitly said that their manager says black people need to just get over it that's what they said to someone in there and she um even still now i said to her i'll have a conversation with you but let me just think about how it's best to advise you because i don't want to advise you wrongly because i understand you're junior she's in a probation so mm -hmm. it's like how can we advise those in those type of scenarios so when you're dealing with outward for me violence a couple of things number one I don't think anybody should be dealing with violence in the workplace full yeah. stop and so you need to be able to speak to hr but also you need to be able to speak to depending on the situation because it could be everyone in the leadership team which i've spoken to people where that's the case mm -hmm. they're all violent and therefore the only choice is to start <laughs> brushing up your seat yeah. and, and, and I'll take your you know what I mean? yeah, like, yeah. do what you need to do yeah right so hrn senior person etc mm -hmm. the second thing i would i would advise um is to have the conversation with your leader whoever the person is 
to say the impact of their words and what that does for you because mm -hmm. people can argue with perceptions they can argue the impact of how they are making you feel in your place of work mm -hmm. so use that language i think the other thing that people need to do is for whatever reason uh, aggressors love to engage in cultural conversations that nobody asked them like I was interested in your weekend. I don't I don't need to know everything else. So limit the cultural interaction, cultural conversations, limit it as much as you can. That poses another challenge because if you're in an environment where cultural conversations is what leads to promotions and in some industries mm. that's the case, mm. you will then have to apply a very different strategy for that. Mm. But again, you it's it's about choices. Mm. It's about as much as possible, creating an environment of safety mm. until you can get out. Mm. But I think you need to report it because it needs to be documented. Uh, secondly, you need to have the conversation and have the conversation around the impact to you and how that makes you feel mm. and the impact to your work and what it's causing as a result. Don't say that you can't handle your workload because that opens a whole bunch of other issues for yeah. you. Um, but you need to be able to use that language and use those words because when it comes time, which it usually does, uh, at some point, either you're going to make the decision to leave or there's going to be a grievance. And if it's not documented, then we have other problems on our hands. Do you think that throughout, I guess, your time in university and also transitioning into working for established organisations, mm -hmm. you've had to build up a higher level of um, resistance than your non-black counterparts? overall or, or not really yeah so i think you have to we we have to have a high level of resilience mm. I, I because we're operating environments that aren't set up for us mm. and so by the very nature of going into the environment you have to have a resilience i think in mm. order to thrive in them is that what motivated you to start up your own organization no so i i i've always wanted to design an environment that I could see myself retiring from, and I couldn't see that in any of the established entities and industries that, that currently exist. And so what motivated me was, well, what is the life? What's my purpose? What is the life? Mm -hmm. What is it that I want to design that I could look back and say, well done, yeah. you know, good and faithful servant at the end of that. Mm -hmm. And so that is what inspired not me needing to prove or respond to anything. Right, okay. So, with that being said, when did you start? I know it was 2015, but when was that point for you? And I know that the same day you thought about Build Global, correct me if I'm wrong, mm -hmm. you registered it. As oh, no, that's when I was promoted. The, I, okay. So, the, the wanting to get into business, that was 10 years prior in terms of planning. So, I plan ahead. You planned 10 years mm, before? I was, yeah. I was 10. Be before you launched your business? Yeah, yeah. Before and I'm I'm at, I'm in a plan that I'm already working on my my plan twenty years from now. So I think in blocks in in time blocks. Um, wow. So build global was ten years before I even registered it. Why do I think in blocks? So why do I think that way? Yeah. Because I look at my end goal and then I work back in terms of steps. What do I need to do to be able to get there? Mm. If I'm already in the, in, for me personally, if I'm already there, then I'm, I'm too late. I haven't built up the credibility. I haven't built up the credentials, things that I need to be taken seriously. So had I, and particularly with the work that I, that I decided to do first. Mm. So what you're referencing was when I did finally register it in company's house. Mm. That was my promotion <laughs> present to myself because I had achieved the milestone tick, promoted to vice president. That night went home to company's house, registered my company. It would be two years before I even left that particular organization and another further 18 months on top of that before I actually stepped that out and did, the, did it on my own. So talk, talk me through um, the 10 year plan. Like mm. how, first of all, who taught you that? Where did you learn that from? God. Okay. No, no honestly. Okay. Honestly. How, how, did, how did God lead you to that? Because I know that there's um, various methods and approaches. Like, for example, I do fasting. Mm -hmm. I, I like to fast so that I can get clarity on what's the next direction, how do I approach things, and mm -hmm. how do I speak, what would I do, <laughs> kind of thing. Mm -hmm. What is your process in letting God lead you, first and foremost? Yeah, so God leads me in everything, everything. Mm -hmm. 
than, mm. than I do. So God, for, so I'm a Christian just to, to make, to make mm-hmm. it clear. Mm-hmm. And for me, God is a God of patterns mm-hmm. and design. So mm-hmm. when I looked at how God created earth, so mm-hmm. six days work, seven days rest mm-hmm. pattern, lots of patterns to be established there. When I looked at how God dealt with Abraham mm-hmm. Actually, I had my own Abrahamic faith faith walk because when I left the States, I left a promotion, quit my job and moved to London with only four suitcases. That was 15 years ago, built everything from the bottom up. So how God dealt with Abraham, how God dealt with Adam, how God dealt with Paul, how God dealt with Mary. It was these, it was patterns and time blocks Mm. and there was different things. Jesus, Mm. what happened? What, What was it? How much time did it take from when they heard from God to when they actually fulfilled what God called them to do? It was a long time. It wasn't overnight. Longer than 10 years. It wasn't going to be waiting around 30, 40 years, right? So I'm like, okay, if I know from when I hear a word to when that word is actually going to be happening, it's actually going to be a substantial amount of time mm. then what does that look like and I was, I, that was actually before i even well read uh, malcolm gladwell's book around you know dedicating ten thousand hours mm. so i'm like 10 years seems to be a reasonable time particularly in transformation from the start of the process to the end for me to actually dedicate work and time and effort to to, to fruition mm. so if i do it in 10 year blocks i have enough time to say Yes, it's working. Mm. Enough time to make mistakes if I needed to. Um, Enough time to change my mind and say this is crazy. Um, All of that for me is where I came to the number 10. So that's how I started, you know, doing things in 10-year blocks. And now, as as I said, I moved on to 20-year blocks. So when I was thinking about Build Global, there were things on my list, things that I wanted to achieve. And when I say 10-year blocks, I'm not sitting here doing an Excel spreadsheet of every single gear, every single milestone, every single goal. Mm. Because as I said, I'm God-led. The objective comes. How I get there, you don't know. I'm flexible about. But that's the path I'm on. So do you document this in any way, shape, or form, this this 10-year plan? Yes. You do? Yes. How do you document it? So I, some of it is journaling. Okay. So when it comes to just overall life goals, it's this is what this is what's happening in ten years time. So it'll be mm-hmm. bullet pointed in journal. When it comes mm-hmm. to the business, there's a business plan. Right. Okay. What's the milestone within the first three to five years, etc. So lateral theory, for example, is part is is the is the pivot of the first five years of Bill Global, first ten years. But this is the sixth year going into Bill Global that I'm moving into media and entertainment, which is part of the plan. So, okay, so I wanted, there's so many questions that are coming up as you, as a time. I'm like, this is so fascinating. So when you first started, I guess with your, your 10 year plan of, of business, right? Mm-hmm. Um, what was your purpose then? And has that changed over time? No, so um, I'm in that 10 year plan now. Okay, so perfect. Uh, Bill Bobo is it's five years and so I'm, I'm, I'm executing against that 10 year plan. Mm-hmm. What the purpose was then and will continue to be the purpose now and mm. going forward is mm. to create space. So that's one mm. of my missions to create space. How I was how was I going to do that? What did I want to enable? I then went to okay, what are the things with the sides of my what are the things that gives me joy? What are the things that I'm passionate about? Mm. What are the, the sides of my brain that I get engaged with? Mm. Um and what, how am I going to make money? Because I have bills mm. to pay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so let's be very Basic. clear. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Ultimately, yeah. So all, all of it, how do I put that together? Yeah. I, don't want to, I don't want everybody very, any, any confusion yeah. around. We have bills to pay. Yeah. So build global and wanting to have a boutique strategy consultancy was the ultimate goal. But I didn't start out with saying that. And the reason I didn't start out with saying that is I go back to what I said earlier in terms of the expectations sometimes of black women in this space mm-hmm. is only white men in the strategy space. 
only people only associate strategy and the white male going into mm-hmm. your company, into your business to tell you essentially how to make money. Mm-hmm. So for me to come on the scene and say, I'm going to do this, even though I have the credentials to do it, I thought to myself, well, what would be the softer entrance? How could I build the brand? Mm-hmm. Where where can I demonstrate and showcase my skills, mm-hmm. all part of the plan, but do it in a way with everything else I'm dealing with, that it's not going to be as jarring to the marketplace and the marketplace being corporate companies. Mm. So that's where change and transformation started and the emphasis on on that specifically. Mm. I'm also a giver. So one of the first things I did uh, was set up a scholarship for students as as I've always wanted to do that. But what I thought was interesting about me setting up the scholarship is even though my business said what the business does, mm. everyone just assumed I gave scholarships. And that was it. That was that was that was it. Okay. No, no, seriously. <laughs> so it's like, no. well, this is what you do. No. No. <laughs> it's there, it's clear as day. But what that taught me was the need to always be on brand and on message about my business. Interesting. Consistently. Because everyone understands that Richard Branson can have Virgin Atlantic Mm -hmm. and Virgin Media and Virgin Galactica. Sabrina says, I have a strategy uh, consultancy and I also want to give back. Whoa, you just give back. It's a decisionship initiative. Right. So one of the early lessons was being on brand at all times. Okay, what does all times mean um, for you? Mm-hmm. And how do you execute that effectively as well? Because I am in the midst of even figuring out how to communicate the different things that I want to do mm-hmm. and merge it into one. And I'm sure there's a lot of individuals that are trying to figure out that and go into spaces where they don't see people like them. Yeah. So what does that look like? That looks like as simple as keywords so there are keywords that i have that's associated with my brand mm-hmm. so being a trusted advisor uh, making sure that we're profitable you've heard me say a couple of those yeah. things in this conversation yeah. every interaction even the emails about how my weekend was there will be a keyword mm-hmm. in that exchange mm-hmm. that references the brand and the reason why that's important particularly I can't speak for everyone else. I can only speak from my own experience as a black woman in business is people get easily confused, very easily confused with what we do. So in order to control your narrative, which is something else I always talk about at all times, you're messaging it. So Mm -hmm. from the emails that you send to what you put on LinkedIn to conversations like this, Mm -hmm to interactions with friends, family on message when it when you're talking about your business because you never know who in that conversation is going to talk about your business to someone else and they need to be able to articulate or just simply say, I don't know what she does, which a lot of people who aren't in this space have no clue what I do, but they may remember, oh yeah, she helps people make money. And if that's all you take away, that's cool because I can explain it when they come, when right. they, you know, when they track me down. Or now that I'm pivoting into my business, I'm very specific about pivoting into the media space. I'm very specific about the channels that I use. Mm. So LinkedIn, for example, the majority of the content that you will find from me on LinkedIn will be around sustainability, around Bill Global. Sporadically, I'll put lateral theory stuff on there. That's not my channel for lateral theory. So I'm very specific about what what I'm putting out and where I'm doing it and why. Do you have, again, I have have this question that goes back and forth in my head and I have conversations with families about this particular question I'm about to ask you. Mm -hmm. Do you have a you personality off-brand social page anywhere at all where you're just, you're on holiday, you have your family, you have fun, or is everything that you put out externally to do with business? So I am weird. If you haven't picked up the fact that I'm weird, <laughs> let me come into how weird I am now. So I am a very private person. Okay. So there isn't any... On my Instagram page right now, 
I'm putting more work stuff, work stuff, before you would be seeing pictures of buildings <laughs> that I take pictures of because that's what fascinates me. Like you're not going to see, there's a, actually there is, no, there is actually right now on my Instagram, I'm on a swing um, in Liberia because I was there for uh, the holidays and I just love the fact that I was on a swing. But apart from that, that's about all you, <laughs> and, that's all you your, and that's your personality, right? That's, you, you, yeah. you won't necessarily advise someone that they have to be like that. No, 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 no. I think, I, 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 I'll say this, right? If you, depending on the industry that you're in, <laughs> either you're going to have a public page or you're going to have a private account. Mm. Because what you post on your social media will come back to haunt you, depending mm. on what industry you choose to be in. So, for example, when I was at Barclays um, in financial services and I was the type of person that took pictures of everything that I, that I got up to on my weekend, that would not be a public page. That would be a private page. Why? Why, why would that affect your position at Barclays? Because that environment doesn't lend itself to understanding people's authenticity and they can't decouple the fact that I may have a very good time on my weekends and want to drink mojitos or whatever the case and smoke hookahs or whatever mm. me living my best life means mm. does not fit into a mold, a, 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 a model stereotype or trope of the, the banker or the person going into that environment. So since mm. I don't want to be answering any questions. You, you, you keep it private. Keep it private. That's so interesting. I could never live like that. But, but I understand it. I hear that a lot. From people that work in law, banking, yeah, I'm like, it's, I'm like, let's be any, don't, don't, don't listen to your friends. Yeah, <laughs> if you are in law, in, if you're in magic circle, if you're in financial services, any compliance-driven environments like that, keep keep it private. If you're the type of person that want that likes to share, because it yeah, does, it yeah. will come, it will be a reputational risk for you. And yeah. in other industries, it's it's, it's not that important. But in those industries, anybody tells you otherwise, they're just not being honest. Yeah, no, it's it's <laughs> it's good that you say this because I've again I've had conversations with some of my friends that work in law, mm -hmm. and I remember one in particular was like to me. I really want to change my Instagram name to align with my actual name, but I have to like change some letters because of my law firm and my find it. And I, and I was just like, but it's on private, so it's like no, just in case mm -hmm. you, you never know. Mm -hmm. And and I I mean salute anyone that works in those environments. <laughs> I could never do it. I'm too free. Like I am too free. Like people get so confused when I did, again when I did the talk last week with coding black females, and um, I even just showed them my LinkedIn bio. Some of them said, I can never write this on my LinkedIn bio. And I said, why? This is just, this is who I am. And this is, yeah, this, this is what made me successful today. Mm -hmm. And they said, no, our employees were completely mm -hmm. like, say this is okay. And it's, it's crazy. Would you encourage black, I mean, it's, there's benefits to it because the pay is great. It's great for your career. But do you think it's good for your mental health? So I think that everyone is called to very specific places and we need who we are to be called in all the environments that we're called to not mm -hmm. everybody's meant to be a creative mm -hmm. not everybody's meant to be a business owner mm -hmm. we need lawyers mm -hmm. we need bankers mm -hmm. and it's not impact to their mental health because that is what they are called to do and True. they are good mm -hmm. with that choice mm -hmm. and also even me i just put my what a picture of me on a swing because I, I love the swing. Mm -hmm. Otherwise you'd be looking at buildings. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Like that's what I want to take pictures of on my Instagram place, buildings. Um and so if I was if I wanted to be a solicitor, if I wanted to be uh, you know be a managing director of whatever bank, that'd be cool because if you go to Sabrina's Instagram, it's her pictures of buildings. Right. And I'm fine with that. I think the issue comes in where people are misaligned. You're, you're in a banking environment because you have pressure to be there, not because you want to be mm. there. And because you don't want to be there, that's not where you're called to be. Mm. You're not able to show the fact that you might like doing graffiti on the weekend mm. because that's what you really want to do mm. because you're in that environment. So I think yeah. what we need is for people to be more aligned to their purpose yeah. um, and take the time and make the money that you need to save up to get there. Right. I'm not one of those people like, oh, just... Quit. <laughs> you have a point. Can you can you can you eat? No, it's true. <laughs> can you eat? Yeah. Once you can eat and you can sustain yourself, then go and and do 
whatever it is that you need to do. But I think misalignment becomes our problem because we're trying to be somebody that we're not. And that is what takes its toll. Along with the fact that we're dealing with very entrenched systems, Mm. we don't need to be adding to that by not being authentic to who we are. That's a really good considered answer that I've never actually thought of because in my crazy head, I'm thinking that everyone wants to be a free spirit like me. And no, that's no. not the case. Like, <laughs> no, like, that's not the case. Some people are, are okay with, with, with being in, in particular environments. And that's and, who they are. Yeah, and that's who they are, exactly. Mm-hmm. So that that's quite interesting. Going back to Build Global, mm. um, for those that don't know, what is... I know we've kind of spoke, we've kind of talked around it. It's pro, you know, it helps businesses make profit. But for those that don't know... What is Build Global? What does it do? So Build Global is a boutique strategy consultancy. What what does boutique mean? It's just a small strategy consultancy. Mm. I employ um, 15 people. What do we do? We provide corporate uh, strategy services, transformation, and sustainability. What does that mean? Mm. In short, what that means is... We want to ensure that when a company is going through any change, large Mm. or small, they be merging with another company, Mm. taking apart different companies, changing their structure, that they come to us. From a sustainability perspective, this is aligned with the UN Sustainable Development Goals. There are three pillars in sustainability, so economic, social, and environmental. A lot of people may see environmental now in the media when corporate companies like, oh, we're going to be net neutral, we're going after net zero, or we want to look at our carbon emissions. My company focuses on the social and economic aspect of sustainability. Mm. And so for us, we look specifically at the supply chain, getting more diverse businesses in the supply chain. Mm. How do we make the supply chain more sustainable? So Mm. over the past two years, uh, during, during the pandemic, everybody became somewhat familiar with the, the importance of a supply chain when we couldn't get our tissues and we couldn't get all yeah. the things that we needed. <laughs> yeah. So for us, is how do we make that more sustainable? How do we ensure if we have another COVID situation that everybody can get access to their tissues and the ramen noodles and all the other right. things that they need? That's what we look at uh, from a sustainability perspective, along with the other things around net zero and carbon neutrality. One of the key things that I'm particularly interested in where sustainability is concerned is when we look at the value chain, so how a company brings in profit through its suppliers Mm. is when we look at smaller suppliers, so farmers, for example, let's use cocoa. Those farmers who farm cocoa chocolate, how are they being compensated? It's a billion dollar industry. Mm. But those farmers get what not even 10 pence on the dollar so what are the corporate companies doing to ensure that those farmers are getting properly compensated for the work that they do because they contribute to the value Mm. they contribute to the sustainability of that organization Mm. they contribute to a large um, billion dollar industry so those things are particular interest for me passionate um, interests of mine to ensure that when we're looking at economic uh, sustainability it's not just about how corporate companies are going to be economically sustained, but the smaller players, right. the individual individuals in that entire ecosystem are also sustained. So with that, um, like when I'm thinking about the example you gave with the farmers, mm-hmm. if it is the case that corporates, they, they need to pay farmers more mm-hmm. so that that's sustainable, mm-hmm. that means that there's a greater cost potentially to consumers. Is that correct or, not, or no? So I think a greater call to consumers is in what the consumers, a greater cost. Yeah. Actually, it's not a cost to consumer. Well, inflation rates now, there is yeah. a cost, but it isn't, it isn't as a result of the farmers not being compensated. Uh, the farmers being compensated for me is good business because, so for example, right now, you just mentioned you had come back from Ghana. Ghana is actually mm. one of the countries taking uh, the industry to task for the fact that they don't get the revenue that they contribute in terms of cocoa production. So it's not because uh, I ha- I didn't have chocolate or people didn't have chocolate in mm. December at mm. the rates that we did. Mm. It gets to us as consumers where the consumers need, can play their role is to, in the same way people started to ask questions about diamonds and how diamonds were sourced, they should be asking questions about chocolate. What about right. the farmers? How are the farmers getting 
paid. Right. Um, so that's that's what the consumers can do. But in terms of the farmers themselves, if there is a pressure, no, they wouldn't be compensated more. There would there would be no right. need. So how? So with okay, with a business that may be in the in the mindset of it's not broke, don't fix it mm-hmm. type of. I'm sure you come across businesses that are. Oh yeah. That think that they're fine. And yeah, that's how I make money. <laughs> <laughs> how do you go in? And I guess change their minds, influence them that actually it's important because there's some individuals they, they don't they're just kind of cold, they don't care. Yeah. So I um don't I'm not interested in changing anyone's minds. Okay. Cool. So I don't operate on the hearts and minds. That's not my approach. My approach is going in and showing you the business case. Okay. The business case speaks for itself as to why you should do X, Y, and Z. And if you make that decision based on the business case, based on what the data says then you're the type of client that I want to work with. But if you're not logical, then I'm not interested in your business. I'm just processing what what you're saying (laughs) and just thinking how how you frame those conversations. So at the moment, do you have a lot of organisations coming to you? Mm -mm, No. So uh, as with any uh, business person, (laughs) you are out business developing, you're showing them why they should procure your services. I'm showing them why sustainability is important, why they need to be thinking about social and economic sustainability. Fortunately for me, everybody's thinking about the environment, so it's a very easy pivot for me to say the other three pillars that you should be considering. But no one, even during the pandemic, no one came and said, oh, actually, I think we really need to look look at our supply chain. Even though the yeah, world was blowing up, nobody said, oh, I think we really need to think about how we, we manage this process. It's something that I was beating the drum about. And to this day, still have the business develop around. So what type of organizations are you best positioned to support with? Is it any type of company or are there no, so our fo- no, our focus is uh, FTSE, what would be in your FTSE 100, your large multinational organizations, uh, any industry, um, though... I would say over the past two years, I've had a very specific focus on energy, on uh, pharmaceuticals, as well as media. Mm. Um, but yeah, those are those are the three focus areas. But yeah, the more the merrier. I'm not going to turn on a check. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> <Period>. <laughs> so oh, you're at one of We're not going to help. Yeah, no. No, you, no, you will help them. Mm-hmm. But if what if it isn't. Uh, a sector that you have expertise in or is it just is there just a formula that works for every type of business so the, so we have a methodology that I've, I've designed and that methodology translates to any industry yeah. um, what I won't know about so let's say I use automotive as an example what I would need to do my research about is how the automotive value chain actually works right okay so my research would be on that the methodology can be applied but it's like okay well how does the automotive industry what is the complete end-to-end value chain within automotive? So from the part, from the from the parts to the manufacturing to the distribution to the marketing mm. to how it gets to the consumer, all these various things. How did you build these expertise? So I combination of my own research and then the skills that I acquired in the organizations that I've worked in, and that's why I selected the organizations that I've that I've worked in. So going to financial services, being a management consultant at at EY, those two specifically were the foundations for me learning what I needed to around strategy, around methodology, around frameworks. Mm. Ogilvy was amazing in terms of brands and consumers. Understanding brands and consumers. Understanding brands, understanding consumers, understanding behaviors. Okay. So each environment that I've walked, that I've spent time and I've been very intentional about what I wanted to learn from those environments. So way before you even started Build Global. Yeah, this is what skills and where am I going to get those skills? I could really care less about working for Barclays. I wanted to work in an investment bank. It just happened to be Barclays that I worked in. I I could care less about Ernst & Young. I wanted to be a management consultant. It just happened to be EY was the place. And all of those different places gave you the skills that you Mm -hmm. have built today. Different skills and then skills that I acquired just from my own Learning, research, professional development, etc. And by the way, well done for um, making it through COVID as well. By the way, because I think yes. any business that sustained through that time uh, period, let me tell you, it's, I, I mean, I heard one of another one of your interviews where you kind of spoke about your business model and you work with associates. Mm-hmm. 
that was a very very intelligent move who how did you learn and, that? well everybody everybody says it's intelligent now but boy when i first started they were like you need to be doing this you need to be doing that uh, the reason why i made that choice is because i studied and looked at other businesses at the five-year mark at the 10-year mark what lessons did they learn mm what challenges did they come across and every single business that i studied and, and researched always came up against cash flow issues mm -hmm. in the first three to five years mm -hmm. of starting so if managing overheads for me for me is a no-brainer what's the best way for me to manage my overheads what is the biggest overhead that i'll have it's employees mm. so, well actually if I have an associate model mm. it takes away that overhead for me mm. and it also gives me time to learn the patterns of remember I mentioned patterns earlier it gives right. me the time to learn the patterns of my business right. without me having to have redundancy conversations which mm. a lot of my peers did and I didn't have to do during that period right okay very smart and you still have that, that model up until mm -hmm. today right and that's what you're going to probably continue with uh, for the for, for the first for, for okay <laughs> i forgot you you had in blocks so so so, so for, for now, the next four years yes that's <laughs> and we didn't get to talk i'm so sorry about um natural theory no that's but okay. do you mind just explaining briefly about what of that course. is how you started it yeah so lateral theory is the other side of my brain and i have always been a creative at heart. I mentioned earlier how much I love the arts and arts was always part of everything that I did. So when I designed the environment that I wanted to be in, I knew that creativity was going to play a big role right. within that. And initially, I knew that making content was going to be it how the content was going to be made. I was like, well, maybe I'll do my own production company. And mm. that's how it's going to, to work. Remember I said earlier how I know the goal. I'm flexible about how I get there. So making content, that's the goal. Flexibility is, mm. initially I thought it was going to be a production company, but actually I have all these ideas and all these different things that I want to bring to life. I'm just going to focus on making content and I'll have producers work for me. I may produce my own content. I'm executive producers and other people's content mm -hmm. and that fulfills it. And so lateral theory is the media and entertainment arm of Bill Global. We executive produce audio, TV and film content. Okay. Breaking Bread is my audio visual podcast that um, I just premiered three weeks at the end of January, yeah. the 25th of January. Thank you. And that's where I bring uh, five strangers together, race, background, over a three-course meal, and we have dinner and debate topics. I love that. Yeah. Breaking bread, eating, <laughs> got it. I was like, that makes sense. Yeah. And it's always Afro or Caribbean food that we're eating. Of course, eating. of course, it has to um, be. But the guests are diverse. Yes. Was that in your 10-year plan? What, breaking bread? Yeah. So having my own podcast was okay. uh, i came up with the idea of breaking bread actually during covid but i felt now was the right time to, to do yeah it. especially if it's a eating meal type of situation <laughs> we don't want that happening in covid but um i guess so that's the honestly what you've achieved is so inspirational i feel inspired okay, by you. hearing your thought process and it's reassuring to know that you've been led by god because that is my methodology to everything in life so it's just, it's so nice. That's the common theme with a lot of these guests that come and, come and Black Great Connect. Mm -hmm. It's God led them. And I'm like, yes, we're going in the right direction. Yeah, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, let me, look, the camera's off. You can see my hands. It wasn't for God. Yeah, honestly. <laughs> it honestly. was not for God. It's even on my logo for Build Global. Is if you My full logo on the side, you'll see it says Build Global. And underneath it, it says Act 2032. And Acts 2032 stands for the book of Acts, chapter 20, verse ah. 32. Uh, the word of God is able to build you up. That's how I came up with the name when ah. I was in my own study time. And so that's everywhere. I love that. I mm. love that. It's embedded. Well, thank embedded. you. Thank you so much. Is there anything that you want to leave listeners with, whether they're not from the black community and they're just interested in learning about our experiences, or it might be someone that is a black professional not knowing what direction they want to go into at the moment? Is there anything that you think you can give that's a universal piece of advice? 
So for the people who aren't from the black community who are interested in learning about our experiences, the universal advice is to be curious and listen. Curious, not compare, because sometimes people draw from those closest to them and presume that that is everyone's experiences. So Mm. be curious and listen. Mm. For the individuals who are in the black community, my advice to you is align yourself with your purpose and take as much time as you need to get there. I know that's countercultural because everything is so quick and fast. Take the time that you need to get there and you'll be you'll be good. Thank you. You spoke to me there as well. So I really appreciate it. And, uh, Thanks for having me. No worries. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening, everyone, to the Backwork Connect podcast. And um, I'm going to attach all of the links to the global. All of the things. Lashwood Theory. Um, Insta- not Instagram because it's. No, Instagram. Oh, Instagram. Yeah. Okay. It's, not, it's not buildings anymore. <laughs> Yeah, breaking bread as well. I want to see that as well. So I'm excited to see it. So thank you. And I'll share all the links. Um, And thank you for listening. Share it with anyone who you think will be interested. And I'll see you all on the next podcast episode.